What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are, we're, we're a few days, God, I'm even losing track. How many days are we? We're a few days off the the acquittal of, of, of Donald Trump, which I believe was Saturday or Sunday, like, like many things uh, tied to the impeachment trial. The sort of the details don't, don't, don't matter tremendously since much of it was preordained uh, from the, from the start. Uh, but, and, and, you know, the, the big story is, is that, is that Donald Trump owns the Republican party. Uh, they continue to sustain him even out of office. And, uh, we, we maybe lose track of the fact that a former president quickly relinquishes sort of all power, all power in a party, even a successful former president. They may have, they may sort of loom large in the party in the way that, uh, Barack Obama has. Um, but certainly a president who fails at re-election is kind of dead to the party. Certainly that happened with Jimmy Carter. I, I remember, um, ah, oh God, in, in, in 1984, 1988, and finally in 1982, it was this kind of running question, are they going to let Jimmy Carter come to the convention? Right? <laughs> and uh, I think... I think God, I'm losing track here, but I think that in you're breaking Kate's heart right now. By the way, I just well, have to in, point that out. <laughs> in, in, in in 1992, uh, I think Clinton kind of brought him back for some kind of role, but that just shows you sort of how totally uh, you know you you lose and you lose everything in 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 the presidential game, and it was it was uh, similar in many ways to President Bush. You know, uh, eight years later, his son becomes president. But even though there's that there's that familial thing, his son, in many ways, becomes president by disowning the political legacy of his father. So Donald Trump uh, gets acquitted, but notably, seven Republicans voted to convict him, and. The, given the gravity of what he did in you know in a lot of ways it doesn't it doesn't seem like much i mean 43 43 republican senators voted to acquit him but i believe i'm correct that when mitt romney voted to convict him in the first presidential impeachment he was that was the first time in american history that anybody had voted to convict a president of their own party in an impeachment. Seven is totally outside of anything in our experience in the now four presidential impeachment trials. And frankly, it's a pretty big deal. He was acquitted because you need two-thirds of the Senate 
uh, to convict, which which even though it's a little annoying with President Trump, I think is a good thing to have there. You know, it really has to be overwhelming. The president has to suffer a catastrophic loss of support to have that many people vote to convict. But a clear, verging an overwhelming majority of the Senate voted to convict him. It's a different, you know, it's a different standard. Um, but it's 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 worth uh, it's worth remembering that. And I actually had a post uh, this morning about Mitch McConnell and a lot of different things going on in that post. But one of the interesting things is that McConnell comes out right after voting to acquit him and basically saying, in every important sense, President Trump is guilty. He's guilty morally. He's guilty factually. He's guilty in kind of every sense in what happened. And I think that now you can say he's a hypocrite. You know, there was a time you could have said that more meaningfully a few days before. And and none of this is like defending McConnell, who I think is one of the an unbelievably destructive force in our politics over the last, you know, you can say over the last like 30 years or so, however long he's been in the Senate, but particularly in the last decade. But it is in an example that Donald Trump kind of owned everybody in the Republican Party, right? They all worked for him. And if they got out of line or even looked at him the wrong way, he was back to viciously attacking them. You even remember uh, right after he lost re-election, there were a few moments where Lindsey Graham, he wasn't even like saying anything negative about Trump. He wasn't vociferously enough defending Trump and saying the election had been stolen. And you had like, you know, Don Jr. out there kind of like threatening this or that against uh, against Graham. But it's sort of an example, and there's a lot of different things going on in this, that Donald Trump always feared Mitch McConnell's power. And because of that, he never went after Mitch McConnell. A few crosswords here and there. But he never did it because Trump is a bully. And like most punks and bullies... They are overawed by power and they look for weakness. And that's why you have him constantly like kind of, you know, going after Kevin McCarthy, even though McCarthy would do anything and everything for him. So uh, those are some things we're going to talk about today. Uh, Let me remind you before we get to the uh, quality content that uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. It's New Orleans style cold brew. It's made from a special blend of 100% Arabica beans, French chicory, and signature spices brewed overnight to give you a velvety smooth cup. You can drink ice, you can drink it hot, spiked in a cocktail, like whatever whatever the hell you want. Treat yourself to a gourmet cup of coffee without stepping foot outside, all for less than a buck per cup. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So, uh, David and Kate, what what the hell is going on? (laughs) Well, Josh, just a quick... uh note about Grady's, you know, we were talking before we recorded about some of my recent moving woes, but one of the uh, 
unfortunate consequences of relocating is that my latest Grady's shipment has been delivered to my old place. Oh. So I'll, I'll have to rectify that. Is it going to be um, like bogarted by the landlords who are like threatening to like, <laughs> to like possibly. charge you for, for the water damage? But, or, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should gift it to my old downstairs roommates, you know, or neighbors, you know, to, uh, as a gesture of goodwill. But, um, Kate, I wanted to talk to you about this Trump statement yesterday going after McConnell called Mitch McConnell an unsmiling, dour, humorless uh, politician. I, I, I think I'm getting at least some of those words verbatim. Politico reported later on that apparently Trump wanted to go even more nasty and personal. In fact, I guess an earlier draft of this statement was going to call out McConnell for having multiple chins and just, you know, the typical Trump nastiness. Uh, And Josh, you mentioned, you know, Trump hasn't gone after McConnell very much because he, you know, he responds more to weakness than strength. But um, what did you make of Trump's statement, Kate? What do you think he's trying to drive at there? Is it just, you know, payback for, you know, daring to stand up to Trump after he voted to acquit him? Or what's what's going on there, do you think? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think a statement about McConnell's appearance would sound more like Trump than a statement that uses words like dour. But, you know, McConnell's speech after he voted to acquit was just, you know, and saying calling McConnell hypocritical has almost lost all of its power because we say it so much about so many things. But To me, I was kind of taken aback by it because I was just because it seemed almost like getting the the worst of both worlds. You know, you acquit Trump, so you leave him with all his power, and then you give this speech that you know is going to incur his rage. I mean, he has written people off and put them in his you know his hate silo forever for much less than that speech. Um, So you know, it seems like McConnell kind of pulled all these contortions to acquit Trump and then pissed him and his base off anyway. But I mean, I guess if you're trying to think about it like McConnell, you know, what's a, what's a possible tactic there if you know you're going to come out guns a-blazing and then acquit him anyway? I mean, I guess your only conclusion has to be that he sees a value in not barring Trump from running for office again. Because I think if McConnell had voted to convict Um, you can pretty safely assume that wouldn't have been a surprise move to the other Republicans. And if McConnell voted to convict, then who knows what kind of jailbreak we might have seen of other customarily Trumpy Republicans joining him. Um, So, you know, that's kind of what it indicated to me. But, you know, I don't pretend to to be a McConnell mind reader. I I guess I I have a slightly different take. I think that uh, McConnell would have liked um, uh, Trump to be convicted. I think he would like to have him barred from running for office. But he knew that there were not going to be 67 votes. And as long as there are not going to be 67 votes, he did not want to be on the, you know, quote unquote, losing side of that because there was no, there's no issue of principle involved for him. It just wasn't going to happen. And I and I take your point that, I mean, you know, it's sort of chicken or egg, right? I mean, I, I, I agree with you that had he voted to convict him, um, that probably would have brought some people along. But I don't think it gets to I, I, I don't think it gets you to 67 votes. And 
for us, it's a matter of speculation. But for him, it's not a matter of speculation. I guarantee you, he knew exactly what the what the what the range was, and so I think the fact that he voted to acquit tells us that it was never going to be sixty-seven votes. Maybe it goes from fifty-seven to sixty-one or something like that. But he's—I mean—the the really kind of the 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 point of that post I did this morning is. Seeing it again, something I have been watching for the last decade, the way that the GOP is sort of structurally addicted to weak leaders, seeing that again now with 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 McCarthy, with all this kind of stuff, just brought again into high relief for me. Um, that guy is a really powerful and effective legislative leader. There's just no getting around that, right? I mean, he... There's never been a time where he gets kind of, you know, you have one of these John Boehner moments where he's like made a fool of by his like, you know, his his right flank or stuff like that. It just never happens. Never happens that like, um, uh, you know, he said one thing and Trump said another and he has to kind of, you know, kind of uh, go scurrying or something. He knows where his caucus is. Uh, he, as, as its leader, he doesn't want to get, you know, be out of tune with, with his caucus. And the key thing is he delivers for his caucus. I mean, he delivers what really, really mattered for them. Yeah, I was going to ask, Josh, if you thought some of McConnell's staying power or just his influence over the Republican caucus in the Senate is about the success of his of the judicial confirmations, you know, in that it's something like a couple hundred federal judges uh, confirmed to the bench, which will have, you know, lasting effects for the rest of our lives, basically. Um, you know, I think in some ways that's that's like kind of the most underappreciated impact of Trump's presidency. I think, you know, there's obviously been coverage and, and talk of it, but just kind of in the background, all of these judges with sometimes lifetime appointments uh, yeah. getting through the, the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, um, uh, Trump, for all for all of these sort of the singular focus for a decade or at that point, six or seven years on Obamacare, Trump failed at the sort of the only legislative goal <laughs> Republicans had, right, to, to get rid of Obamacare. I mean, Trump was unbelievably destructive to this country. Um, but legislatively, they pushed through one really big tax cut, but kind of they didn't do anything legislatively. You know, and it, it, uh, to a great extent, in terms of, of putting laws on the books, they just kind of fritter, frittered away their time when they had the two years, they had totally, totally uncontested control of everything. Um, but yeah, the judge thing, and and we know that like Donald Trump doesn't even know what the judge thing is about, right? It, it's not even you know he's not like an ideologue. I don't think the actual things that that uh, you know conservative judicial activism is about. I mean, no, it just that's kind of like that's the thing that he could deliver, and that was part of the sort of the deal, right? The sort of the the marriage of convenience. But yeah, that's a huge thing, and and McConnell got it done, and he and he queued queued it up to get done by what he did under Obama. The reason they were able to kind of 
you know, totally transformed the federal judiciary in four years. I mean, Jimmy Carter didn't get one Supreme Court appointment. I think even uh, George W. Bush got two. I mean, it's really stunning. I mean, and 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 Clinton got two, right? And it's there's there's a there's a mix of of luck and 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 more strategy in the part of Republicans, but uh, Mitch McConnell prevented, you know, kind of left tons of vacancies open under Obama and then famously stole the Merrick Garland seat. So, yeah, I mean, it, he he is just a powerful legislative leader and that's just that's just a fact and the fact that he's evil is doesn't take away from that fact. Well, and it's interesting that, you know, I agree he's a powerful legislative leader and his legacy especially of late is pure obstruction you know like you said when they had total control nothing got done you know that's it's just interesting to me that he he is this really savvy legislator and he uses that power for pure gridlock you know never turns those those powers to things that you know might actually help people well it's all it's also an example though that it it, it's not just mitch mcconnell if you think about it, like what, I mean, there are all these things that Democrats want to do legislatively. They want to do, you know, kind of huge climate stuff. Uh, they want to, they want to do a wealth tax. They, many want Medicare for all. There's all, you know, a long, long list of things. It's very hard to name really anything Republicans want to do legislatively. They, they when they get a chance they 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 you know just kind of incrementally uh, uh, shift the tax burden, but that's not even you know it, technically it's legislation, but it's not it's just kind of it, it's calculator work really right, um, and and that goes to a sort of a, a deeper structural truth about the division between the parties uh, in our current era, which is that. Republicans want to have a veto on everything from the electoral vantage point of a large electoral minority, right? And 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 so you know the 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 they don't really have a legislative agenda, and if you think about it, the importance of the courts is to a great extent about locking in political power for a for a minority right so it all kind of it all kind of fits together and, and mitch mcconnell is a master of it kate i wanted to get your take on something kind of related to this which is after uh the seven republicans in the senate voted to convict president trump this happened even before that but we've seen just state party after state party come out and either formally censure their republican senators or strongly rebuke today or last night we had the main Republican Party, this is something you flagged, Josh, uh, you know, slap Susan Collins on the wrist, but also say, thank you for doing so many awesome things for Maine as well. There's so low like... energy. Maine, is, <laughs> Maine GOP is really a sad bunch. Kate, I'm just wondering what you make of that. I mean, is it a matter of just riling up the base in those states? Because at the local level, state elections, local elections, you need to turn people out in order to you know, support lower level officials or, you know, what, what do you think is behind just the state parties kind of being so beholden to Trump and so acquiescent 
to him well, still. I think in some ways a lot of state parties have been more visibly extreme than their national level counterparts. Um, you know, I wrote, this is different, but I wrote a story yesterday about um, the the false flag conspiracy theory about the insurrection and kind of one of the the hints that this kind of conspiracy theory had trickled into the, you know, quote unquote mainstream was the the Oregon Republican Party just putting out this nutso resolution that was there. They were condemning the uh, the House Republicans who voted for impeachment. Never mind that none of those House Republicans were from Oregon, but they decided to give their two cents anyway. Um, you know, and in the resolution they talked about, you know, there is now significant evidence that the insurrection was, you know, Antifa, false flag attack kind of thing. And, you know, that's that's just true in a lot of states that um, the the state level party is very open about existing on the, the far right wing. Um, and I think it's funny because to add to the kind of main low energy column, you had Utah it kind of did a, some fancy threading of the needle where they they praised both Romney um, and who's the other Mike Lee? Lee, yeah, who voted on opposite sides of conviction, you know, about like we honor a difference of opinion type thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's also the political calculus of the people who voted to convict is you know right out there on the table. It's a ton of them are retiring, so no skin in the game. Um, you know, and then of the usual suspects, uh, it's it's only Murkowski who's up in 2022. So for most of them, this was a pretty And she basically won as a Democrat functionally last time. Like as she, a write-in? She, it was a well, write-in, right? Yes. I mean, she lost her primary mm-hmm. and some, you know, kind of crazy right-wing guy run won the primary and then she ran as a as as a write-in and like no one wins as a write-in but she won as a write-in you know surely uh, no one with the last name murkowski like that's hard to spell exactly (laughs) the whole other thing Mm -hmm. although remember she's intergenerational i mean she's kind of become in some ways a bigger figure than her father was but her father was was a senator from Alaska for like a generation. I mean, you know, there's, there's been like maybe three senators from Alaska, literally in that seat. It's that, but, um, uh, but what I mean is functionally she won as Democrat. She basically won with the kind of the middling Republicans and, and the Democrats. Um, so she's pretty, uh, you know, she got primaried last time and lost and still kept her seat. So that kind of tells you something about what she can, what she can work with. Um, but yeah, and even, you know, the two people who, you know, Cassidy just once, he's got six years. You, you work with that. You know, that's a lot of time. Same with Collins. Uh, same with, wait, who's the other, who's the third? Uh, there were, I remember what, there were, there were two retirees, three, uh, you know, ones who have six more years till they have to, uh, run again, and then two that are sort of you know the standards: uh, Mitt, uh, uh, Romney, and and Murkowski. I can't remember who the other ones were, but it's not quality content to hear me speculate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, on the just to wrap up the censorship thing, I I'm sure all these people knew that they would be censor, uh, censured censured. Um, 
took it into account. You know, they wouldn't have made this vote if they thought it would be perilous to their electoral future, you know. Right. It, it takes, a, I think, a very rare politician to actually prioritize doing what they think is right when they actually believe it'll cost them their seat. So, you know, not to take away from what these people did. Um, I think it was it's I think it's really brave to break from what your party is doing. But um, but yeah, I mean, political calculus all around. I, I would say. I would say too, just to just add in that as much as I say the kind of like six years they have, you know, that's that's like the equivalent of like two bourbons of bravery, right? In other contexts, <laughs> but it's not nothing. They mm. do these 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 people do. I think plan on running <laughs> running for office again, and I don't think uh, you know doesn't help. No getting right. around that doesn't help. I mean, and not to mention that we have profiles in cowardice, I guess, right alongside them to compare them to. I mean, you also have Rob Portman, who announced his retirement. You know, he's politically untouchable at this point. He couldn't muster the courage to vote to convict. So yeah, totally. And and I I will say that the cat, I mean, I think everybody was like this. The Cassidy thing, like, where'd that come from? I mean, like, Burr retiring, you know, he, I don't know how much effect it had, but he ran what was a fairly aggressive Russia probe under Republican control. Um, I'm sure that kind of, uh, you know, affected his thinking at some level. Toomey had already kind of put his cards on the table. He's retiring. Uh, To my surprise, announced a while back, he's not running for governor. So I'm not sure he he ever plans on doing anything again in politics. But like Cassidy, I'm I'm genuinely, I, I still haven't seen like a clear explanation and then i I don't know if people saw this but he put out a statement a video statement where he basically it was it was two sentences and the first sentence was sort of like you know politics isn't about any one individual it's about the constitution blah 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 and then he said i voted to convict president trump because he is guilty (laughs) and i remember thinking like wow i I can't improve on that that is (laughs) that is why you want to convict him because he's guilty and it and it was it was so. Um, I mean, uh, seriously, if you're if you're listening to this, uh, you know, Google uh, uh, Senator Cassidy, you know, statement Trump, whatever, because it's it's and it, it you, you know you expect someone to do like a kind of like a whole. I be, you know I support so many things he supports and blah and blah and yet and blah and blah all this kind of bullshit right and then you said like I voted to convict because he is guilty <laughs> and then, like he is guilty no and that, questions yeah <laughs> yeah I just can't I, I even now I'm thinking about it again it, it was like so it was so um, it was just perfect and there was like a poetry. In the understatement, because, yeah, I voted to convict him because he is guilty. I mean, wow. Wow. Right. But again, on the broader point, I still don't quite I I still have seen no real explanation of where that comes from, because he's not he's certainly not the most liberal, but he's also not the most conservative. He's from Louisiana. So kind of like that's kind of almost like the Goldilocks of like Senate Republican states, right? It's not like Wyoming where you're going to get like primaried by some like, you know, by like Eamon Bundy or something like that. And, and, but it's also like, you're not going to have any problem. You know, there, there, you're an, you're an incumbent Republican that you, so I just, again, I, 
I'm just curious where that came from. Yeah, his bearing through the whole trial was interesting, um, you know, because he the first signs of, I think, anything from Cassidy. Like, I don't at least remember seeing or hearing anything in the lead-up that people were like, hey, keep your eye on this yeah, guy. Yeah, no, nothing. And, nothing. like, the first indication we kind of got is when he switched his opinion on the constitutionality of the trial. Um, and when reporters kind of flocked him afterwards, he, it, again, it kind of mirrors the simplicity of his conviction statement, which was, you know, in essence, the House managers have done a better job presenting their argument than Trump's team, which, again... <laughs> unassailable you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who disagrees with that but we usually just don't have these statements from republican senators in the trump era that are so devoid of you know kind of the flowery couching in but i love everything else he's done kind of thing because i remember even remember when when romney announced in that pretty powerful speech that he gave announcing that he was voting to convict in the first impeachment trial that he he even he tossed in like i i support everything trump has done he's awesome and 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 like the tax cut was so cool you know and he, <laughs> he just all the stuff like you know and yet i just can't and, and it's very like earnest Mitt, which I think is is genuine in his kind of mental universe. He's like, dude, I'm 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 so conservative, but kind of like you just can't break the law like that. You know, that's so Mitt, right? Um, but but yeah, it, it was I was t- to Kate's point when he gave that little mini uh, press availability after the surprise of that interim vote. Uh, it, it was a little funny to me because he, he said, you know, they did a better job with, you know, they kind of gave a, a better presentation. He didn't quite say I, what I think he was saying and what was sort of presaged in the eventual vote was that they were pretty convincing. It's obviously not unconstitutional. And that's why I voted that it was not unconstitutional. I mean, again, I mean, I'm just if and if and when, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, when you see the article that finally explains what happened there, send it to me because I'm just really curious what happened. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some like kind of Bill Cassidy re- ready to take some independence type things, but you know, nothing that indicates w- such a swing, you know? And I would say w- with the caveat that the senators know that reporters are watching them in the chamber while these trials are going on. So pretty much everything that they're doing is, you know, I, okay, I don't want to say artifice or calculated, but they know people are watching and they know that those details will make them their way into articles and tweets. But, you know, to right, his like, credit, uh, oh, God, did you? No, go ahead. I was going to say, to his, uh, you know, Cassie was one that I was reading all the color reports as they came in from the people who are there. And, um, you know, one of the kind of scrupulous note takers, one of the the one that was just kind of giving all the physical signs of paying attention, which is not nothing because to be honest, there are a lot of Republican senators who were, you know, left the room a lot or were like reading books or there was, there was also, filling in the map of Asia. <laughs> there, there was also clearly a lot of like sort of performative fuck off yep. from a totally. lot of, the, I mean, I was going to say like Josh Hawley with his feet up on the chair. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things like, I mean, look, it, it, I, it, it's probably fair to say, you know, the, you, you know what happened. I mean, you were there. You know what happened, right? You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, you're not kind of tuning in to find out what happened in the inter- insurrection. You know what the, you know what the result is. So at some level, it's not terribly surprising if kind of like, 
you know, it's a lot to listen to, right? It's just sitting, sitting, you know, we're seeing it on TV, but it's you're sitting at your desk. It's like you're in a classroom. And, you know, the Senate is kind of like a really big classroom (laughs) and someone is there like, you know, 30, 40 feet from you like, so like, okay, you're probably it's 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 going to be hard to have rapt attention the whole time. But, yeah, in the in the press reports, you keep saying like, oh, this guy got out a coloring book and (laughs) and had the full set of Crayolas and was, you know, just this stuff like, dude. Like, read a briefing paper. You can say it was the court filing or something like that. Or, or, I don't know, you can, or just, you know, daydream. But there was clearly a lot of people making the, telling the Republican faithful, I think this is such bullshit. I'm going to sit here and, like, read the Zagat's, you know, Zagat's book or whatever, you know, to, to, um, guide to see where I'm going to go on vacation after the after COVID right, right. Like it's very performative right. exactly but I think if we have kind of our eyes on Cassidy now and going forward at least at this moment he chose to make his performance yeah I'm taking this really seriously and I'm listening to what they're saying and it's enough to change my mind you know and who's to say if we'll see that again but it seems to, significant to, to your point about it not being you know it not being uh, seen in advance and they're not being a lot of like, you know, kind of insider reporters saying on Twitter, like, keep an eye on this person, keep an eye on that person. It, it, it's not like there's certainly some Republicans who like sometimes <clears throat> in both impeachment trials, you would see John Thune, who I think is, he's either the second or third in the leadership in the Republican leadership in the Senate. Right. Uh, So, uh, well, then third, now second or whatever. Um, In any case, he would say something like, again, about both trials, like, the Ukraine call was not good. Really not good at all. I was not pleased. You know, so so this kind of (laughs) this kind of positioning where you want to say, like, I'm going to I'm going to quit him. But kind of like, I'm not saying it's awesome. And I don't remember anything like. I don't, I don't remember Cassidy playing on any side of any of that. I remember hearing anything. I mean, he's really just kind of like a classic backbench senator. You don't hear, you know, you don't, I've never seen us like, you know, kind of publish a, do a post where kind of like, oh my God, you won't believe what he said on Tucker Carlson. Like, mm-hmm. I, you don't see him anywhere. He's just someone. That's more, uh, that's more John Kennedy's role from, you know, yeah. his Louisiana colleague. Basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you just, he's just, and so again, I don't know what happened there. So I'm curious uh, if you think Mitch McConnell will respond to Trump in any way, or what, what do you expect his move will be after, after Trump kind of so thoroughly dragged him in this statement? Any predictions or any ideas? I don't think he'll do anything. I, I think, I think, again, the sort of, I think the meta story is here, he is not afraid of Trump. And, and you know that because he is, he has, he has, um, attacked him or refused to kowtow to him on half a dozen occasions since the election. So it's very deliberate. It is, it is uh, not, not just deliberate, but it is deliberate about what it signals. I'm not afraid of you. You suck. I really hope you're gone. And like, whatever. 
So I, thanks I for think, the judges, kind of. Yeah, thing. exactly. Thanks for the judges. Don't let the you know don't let the door hit you on the way out. And so I think that the the power move for him is he doesn't have to respond. He doesn't care what Trump says. Right? Isn't McConnell's famous saying the winners winners make policy and losers go home or something like that? Isn't that? Uh, I I don't know. But, one of McConnell's but, things. But, he doesn't really know. do much of either. But <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, I McConnell's also about to get into his like the time of governing that is probably his favorite, which is, you know, now that we're past the trial um, and they're going to get the COVID relief bill kind of out the door pretty soon. And then it's going to be kind of what we've been talking about on this podcast and in insider briefings for a while now, which is, you know, we're going to come back to the Republicans wielding this outsized minority power to keep the Biden administration from achieving their legislative goals and there'll be the filibuster will come up again and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that that obstructionist position is where McConnell seems to thrive. So I'm sure to some degree he feels like, OK, we've dispensed with the Trump stuff now back to where I belong. <laughs> and it's also that that his partisans will love that. Mm-hmm. Republicans will love that. And I, I mean, what I, I mean, look, as a as a as someone who, as, as, as a Democrat, in some ways, I would love to see them really go at it and, like, destroy, uh, you know, a few uh, marginal Republican senators and, 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 you know, have the Democrats pick up seats in two years, which I don't think is impossible. Um, but I, I think that is, again... McConnell is a smart guy. He knows where the power is. He knows where the where the moving pieces are. And as much as a lot of Trump partisans uh, really hate McConnell right now or say they hate McConnell, I think it is going to be a, a tough proposition for a lot of them to say, I hate him so much. Let's burn through five Republican senators and go to 5545 because fuck Mitch. Like, you know what? I doubt it. Yeah. And, you know, it's also not even clear to me. Like, there is a a part of the Republican Party right now that is all Trump all the time. Everything they do is for Trump. And those people, especially kind of who are in the more conspiratorial circles, but those kind of hardcore MAGA people who the the kind of son that brings all these orbiting conspiratorial things together is just fealty to Trump. I'm not even really sure how much those people care about politics beyond Trump. Like how much they care about McConnell's role over the next the next few years. Like is obst- is Republican obstruction of democratic legislation do they care about that? You know, the people who have kind of been brought into the fold via the Trump wave. You know, that's not even clear to me. Um and to some degree I think that that, you know, is, is further kind of uh, an impetus for for McConnell to want to get back to the, the usual kind of legislative gridlocky thing, because the longer they spend on Trump, who's obviously divisive within the party, that's a that's a harder bill of good for him, bill of goods for him to sell than, hey, we're doing everything we can to shut down the Democrats. Like, that's pretty unifying. You totally. Know? Totally, totally, totally. And and, and, it, and it is striking with this kind of almost cliched now, you know, there there's no there's no state party censure doctrine, right? <laughs> this like whatever. It's, it's not even a thing, right? I mean, obviously, anybody can say anything and censure or whatever you want to call it. 
but it is it's striking that it is it is just absolute everybody who 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 went renegade in any way on this gets censured by the state party by county parties and all this kind of stuff but it's stri- i mean th- th- that never happened on on any like on any substantive policy issue in the in the last 4 years and it's sort of an example that those same people when trump was like $2000 checks man the same people are like, oh, yeah, $2,000 checks, <laughs> right? So, so, so basically, I mean, it just shows what we know, that it is all about Trump. Whatever Trump says, that, you know, that's it. That's the thing. Um, and then there's that, there's that somewhat separate issue that, Kate, that, that Kate's referring to, that some of these people, when Trump isn't in the mix, they don't, you know, they may not be... Um, they're just not that into electoral politics. They may still be angry. They may still like be, you know, posting Pepe or something like that on, on, uh, on, on Twitter, but actually like turning out to like vote for your kind of random Republican congressman, I don't care about that. And in, in some ways that that's, you know, we saw that in 2018. We, it's a little hard. It's still, I think a little hard to say what we saw in Georgia in the, in the runoffs, but, you know, a lot of those people just don't give a shit if, if Trump's not there. Yeah, exactly. I was going to I was going to make that same point. Well, I think um, maybe that's a good place to leave it today. Any anything we didn't cover or any final thoughts before we uh, call it an episode? Um, yeah, well, I did want to briefly talk about one thing that um, kind of the conspiratorial things that I mentioned before. Um, which is kind of an interesting schism, you know, while we're talking about the the Trump slice of the Republican Party. But uh, there's this really interesting thing happening right now where you there's a lot of growing support for this idea that the Capitol insurrection was a false flag, um, that it was carried out by, you know, Antifa undercover. Now it's kind of mutating into with the idea that Nancy Pelosi is behind it all. You know, she's kind of become the predictable primary villain here. But it's just, it's a really interesting dynamic because you've got that gaining steam, you know, to the point where it's gotten to the Matt Gateses of the world. It entered the Fox News ecosystem the night of the insurrection. But um, it's just interesting because now you have that, which is kind of at odds with people who are celebrating the insurrection as this, like, big pro-Trump victory. Um, You know, Trump tweeted the night of never, or what was it? Remember this day forever, you know? So you've got these two things that are so at odds right now. And it's just really interesting because they both play into such an instinct of this subset of people, which is, you know, blame the deep state, blame the Democrats. There are kind of evil democratic elites behind everything. And then compared to the reveling of this huge embarrassment of the elites on Trump's behalf, you know? So anyway, that's just a, a really interesting kind of dynamic that I'm, I'm keeping my eye on, on the, the QAnon well, messaging boards. How, how, are, how, are, how are they reconciling it simultaneously being Antifa with the fact that a lot of them are in jail, like are, are facing indictment? Like well, this, yeah, the only the, very tenuous <laughs> attempt to explain that I've seen is this one um, InfoWars host. So this is like a very credible news person saying, Which one? 
uh, her name is uh, Do- uh, Deanna Lorraine. Um, she's a big, a big QAnoner, but she basically, her, it was, it was my favorite thing because the day after the insurrection, she is filming from the back of an RV with her like Infowars microphone and going, you know, don't you dare let them say it's Antifa. Like this was a great day, Patriots. Like don't be cow. This was us. This was such a great win. And then like by the first week in February, she was going on some show in that, in that world and saying, completely changes she said you know a lot of us fell for it we thought this was for trump but this was a trap it was a false flag and the point of it was so now they can arrest us and censor us with impunity because we were behind the violence so they're not denying they were there but they were the ultimate victims they were they were they were they were deceived into thinking it was it was a maga thing but it was it was actually an elaborate setup to to discredit them and 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 get them arrested. That I mean exactly. that kind of I mean not that I want to kind of go down this rabbit hole, but that kind of <laughs> does come together as, as one big mega conspiracy theory like yeah, we were there. We th- we said it was awesome, but we were how how foolish we were, how little, right. how little <laughs> we understood the true it's story. It's a little harder to make that fly when you like we have all these pictures and footage from the Capitol of you know, these avowed Trump supporters like breaking stuff and such, but there is some, there's some tenuous logic there. Well, isn't there that, isn't there that one guy who I, I guess was notionally there as kind of like a journalist, you know, kind of a, a self-styled journalist who was actually right near there when Ashley Babbitt, is that, that's it, Ashley Babbitt, right? When she was shot and he's someone who at least had a history as kind of like a left protester, but he was there kind of saying, I'm here as a journalist. And I've seen some like random online discussion about maybe he was always kind of like an agent provocateur in the, in the, on the, on the left stuff that he's actually like a right winger. Um, he was actually, I think I'm getting this right. He was actually interviewed on like CNN or something like on the night of the 6th or maybe the, the next day because he was right next to her when she got shot. And I think it's possible that maybe one of the kind of videos we've all seen, it actually shows her like, you know, kind of flying back from that window in, you know, kind of with the impact of the, of the, of the gunshot. I think he may actually have shot that video. I mean, some of these people, we don't need any deep explanation. Some of these people are just weird. I mean, there's a lot of people who are hardcore Bernie types who are now big QAnon people. I don't, I, <laughs> me, me anticipate the blowback here. I'm not saying like a significant, uh, uh, group of, of Sanders supporters. I'm saying there were some people in the sort of the online world in 2015, 2016, who were hardcore anti-Hillary, you know, gung-ho Sanders who, you know, kind of maybe, you know, WikiLeaks was a gateway drug and suddenly they're MAGA people. There are, there are a few like that. Some people are just weird. Um, but I don't know. So that I'm, I'm, I have seen some people, I've seen references to him as maybe like the thread they pull out to kind of, you know, kind of validate this idea of a, uh, of it all being a, of it all being a setup, but you know. Yeah, I'm just like really fascinated by the dynamics of especially the QAnon 
world now that you know Biden was inaugurated and is president and it's just so interesting to me because last summer I talked to a lot of kind of conspiracy theory experts about QAnon and I still remember uh, one of the professors I talked to said that the most dangerous thing that a conspiracy theory can do to itself is to hinge on specific dates and specific events because if those things don't come to pass you know, that threatens the whole belief system because you've been proven wrong. You know, it's much safer to keep things vague and uh, hard to pin down. And, you know, we kind of saw this deflating of QAnon the day of the inauguration. Like there were some videos that kind of went big on Twitter of people saying, you know, have we been fooled? Have we been tricked? What's going on here? But it is kind of amazing how at least the core of the conspiracy has rebounded since then. Um, you know, and it's doing the false flag stuff. There's some other kind of borrowed extremism happening now where there's an idea that Trump will actually be inaugurated as the 19th president on March 4th. Um, What's the be 19th? <laughs> because in, in 1871, there was a law passed that they interpret as turning the United States from a country to a corporation. And so Trump is actually going to be inaugurated as the next president of the original country. So following Ulysses S. Grant, I think, as the next real oh. president. And the March wow. 4th is the old before yeah, they shortened the lame duck periods. Right, so. right, right. Oh, that's where, because I, I keep seeing these things about the Trump Hotel and what is it, March 4th or right, March 5th yeah. or something. That, so that's mm -hmm. what that's about. You know, uh, Kate, you'll probably know, be familiar with this, but for our readers, uh, for our listeners who aren't, this this really does have have the sound of the set of contest theories within the Catholic Church. Right, because there, there, there's, uh, I guess one of them goes, I, I think it goes back to Vatican I. Basically, there's this idea among arch conservatives in, in Catholicism that either Vatican I, which was in, I think, eight, in the 18, maybe in 1870, but around there, uh, and Vatican II were actually, th that the popes who've come after those successions are actually anti-popes. They're not legitimate popes. And what set of vacante means is an empty seat. So basically, there's been like a there's been no pope d during this time, and so and this gets th this this um, this becomes the explanation why you can be the hardest core pro papalist uh, Catholic and yet say you know fuck po Pope Francis he's not legit <laughs> I, I'm 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 way too hardcore Catholic to, to do what you say. And it's, it's, it is similar to this, this idea that, that in fact, what, going back to 1870, we've actually had no real presidents. We've had a, right. a string of, of, of fraudulent presidents. And, and now, uh, Trump will be, uh, finally go back to, I, I don't even know. Yeah. Good I'm, stuff. I'm writing I, about this for, for members, so well, keep an I, I'm, eye I'm, out. this is. <laughs> I, I did not. I keep hearing about, like I said, I keep hearing about this March fifth. That's the next. He's, you know, that's when he's going to be inaugurated. But I didn't know this was the this was the backstory. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, that's as good of a good of a pitch as any for our listeners to <laughs> yeah, sign you, up yeah, as exactly. a member of TPM. Subscribe, subscribe, uh, become a subscriber. Let me remind you uh, that right after you subscribe to TPM and uh, stop being very, very bad, 
and listening to this podcast without being a subscriber. You should also go and buy some Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. That's because they are the sponsor of this podcast. In fact, you can get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Also subscribe to TPM. Stop sucking. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. See you next week. All right, See you later. Next week. Bye.